Welcome back to the San Francisco Giants editions of the For the Fans, By the Fans podcast. In this show, we bring you your weekly dose of all things San Francisco Giants baseball from the fans' perspective. I'm a lifelong Giants fan and your host, Benjamin Shapiro. As the Giants licked their wounds coming off of last night's one-hit performance and sit in fourth place in the NL West, we welcome back Adam Grossman. Adam is a lifelong Giants fan that lives in Seattle, Washington, and he moonlights as an operations and demand planning expert. He graduated from Vanderbilt with a degree in mathematics, and he's going to walk us through his view on why Tyler Beatty's 8.22 ERA is not as bad as it seems. But before we get into that, I want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you on behalf of our friends at Fanatics. Fanatics is the global leader in licensed sports merchandise. They have the world's largest collection of official sports apparel from the leagues, teams, and players that you love. And that means if you're like my friend Adam and you're already getting ready for football season, you can order your custom Richard Sherman jersey for as little as $39. We're lucky enough to be Fanatics affiliates, so if you want to help us out, go to ftfbtf.com slash fanatics, and they will give us a little kickback to help pay for the production of this show when you buy your Giants gear. Okay, Adam, welcome back to the pod. Thanks, good to be here. Just for the record, I will never, ever buy a Richard Sherman jersey. Oh, never say never. Never. So, Adam, a little bit of a rough start to the season. Before we get into talking about the Giants, why don't we start off with the thing that I told you that I would never do to you, the FTF-BTF pop quiz. Are you ready? Sure. It's second time in a row, so... Why stop a good thing? You hit a home run last time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, I'm just going to fire off some questions at you. and want quick reactions, and don't think too hard because, you know, I don't want you to go away from your strong suit. <laughs> So uh, question number one, who did you say last time were your top five Giants of all time? You're making me remember things. Rapid fire answers. Yeah. Uh, Matt Cain, Buster Posey. I think I forgot Bumgarner on there. I said Bob Melvin. I meant Bob Brendley's up there. Barry Bonds, I think was my last one. Was that five? I think we're on 16 at this point. So (laughs) can I tell you my Bob Brendley story? Go for it. One of the reasons that I loved Bob Brenly was because when I was a kid, I must have been like eight or nine years old or something like that. And my dad ended up scoring tickets on the Giants dugout for me and a buddy. And this is back in Candlestick. So there was plenty of room in the stick. Um, But I sat there and watched Bob Brenly make four errors in one inning and then I think he hit a home run or two home runs in the game and actually ended up winning the game for the Giants. But it was the most ridiculous game I've ever seen from like a singular player highs and lows kind of thing. And I was right there. It was incredible. (laughs) And you're sure that wasn't Bob Melvin? That was Bob Brentley. And I think like it might have been the Giants making four errors in, in one inning and he made two of them. But I but I definitely saw him throw multiple balls into the outfield. And I want to say like made multiple errors on one play or something like that. I'd have to look it up. Well, you know, it could happen to the best of us. And that pretty much feels like how the season has been so far. So now that you mentioned Bob Brenly and Bob Melvin, who had a higher career batting average of the two former Giants catchers turned Major League Baseball managers? It had to have been Bob Brenly. Bob Brenly, 247. Bob Melvin, 
to 33. You are correct. I mean, you get an extra like 12 points just for the mustache, right? It helps you hit the sweeping curveball. Did you uh, pay more this year for beer or tickets at spring training? Tickets, for sure. What was the count? For the Giants, like 100 bucks for one game. Then Mariners was another 50 bucks. So yeah, I definitely didn't drop 150 bucks in beer at the stadium with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Total touchdown count for Jimmy Garoppolo this year. In real life or on your fantasy team? Yes. Uh, 26? 44, good. Three words describing Richard Sherman in a 49ers uniform. Suck it, Seattle. I would have gone with that's just wrong. Who's winning the World Series this year? I'm going for it. Cleveland Indians. <laughs> Biggest mess your kids made this week. Uh, this is a family show, but poop in the tub for 200, Alex. <laughs> I won't ask boy or girl. I'm just going to go with uh, Pablo Sandoval's current weight. Cheeseburger. <laughs> the Giants' fifth starter at the beginning of this year. Aren't they all fifth starters? The Giants' fifth starter at the end of this year. Suarez. And our 11th question out of our top 10 pop quiz, total wins for the Giants, including the playoffs in 2018. 75. All right. So now that we've embarrassed ourselves enough with our pop quiz, tell me about your experience at spring training. What was the preseason like this year? Oh, on the whole, it's always great to get down to spring training. We went down as a family. So my wife and I have a two-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son, and uh, we all went down there and did a Thursday to Sunday deal. And we stayed uh, right by Old Town Scottsdale, so walking distance to the park, which we were super excited about. But the thing that really surprised me is that spring training has really turned into, you know, it's not a secret anymore. When I first started going to spring training in 2010 or so, you could get tickets pretty much anywhere in the stadium and at any ballpark for eight to 11 bucks. And when we looked for Giants tickets on Thursday night, the lawn seats were going for $57 a pop. I'll take two. Yeah, that was crazy. And, the, you know, the interesting thing is like the lawn seating was always like general admission. And in many ballparks, it's still general admission. But with the Giants, it's turned into such a party back there that you have to buy lawn tickets now. They fence it off. And they're one of the most expensive seats in the house. Getting behind home plate is like 45, 50 bucks and lawn seats are just as much. So It's actually cheaper to go to a San Francisco Giants regular season game than a spring training game. It's because it's 85 degrees and you're sitting on the lawn in Arizona as opposed to 57 degrees and wearing a parka. <laughs> it was 85 degrees here once. Once. I think I remember it. We got really drunk on your rooftop that day. <laughs> Highly likely. So tell me, how much have you been enjoying the Giants' hot start so far? It's been tough. It's not unexpected, but it's been tough. I mean, what are they, 6 and 10 right now? I think so, 6 and 10. Fourth. 6 and 10 coming off of uh, like a gem by Cueto, but then backing it up with getting one hit and losing one to nothing. I mean, Cueto's been pitching well, and they haven't really been backing him up with too much, and... You know, the young guys, Suarez and Beattie, look young, and I hope that they can work on some stuff down in the farm system and be serviceable by the middle of the year. 
you know, the offense shows its flashes. I mean, McCutcheon has been good. You know, he had a, a couple of hot games in there. It's been fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, they kind of look like who I thought they were going to look like. I was listening back to your for the first podcast with you and your dad, and you guys are talking about 90-win seasons. It just makes me chuckle. Let's separate out my dad saying they were going to win 90 wins from me saying they were going to be four games over 500 and pursue the last playoff spot. That was also pre or just right around the Bumgardner injury that we were just digesting. And little did we know that we would lose our top three starting pitchers in the beginning of the season and our closer. And Smith hasn't been playing. And Smith hasn't been playing. <laughs> the thing that occurs to me is last year they started off six and ten and they had actually scored three more runs than they did this year. So they're basically on pace with the 98 loss team from the previous year and I expected a much better effort. I expected this team to be able to hit and they've been so inconsistent. Like I can digest not having your top three starting pitchers for the first two weeks. And I know Cueto's back and he had a couple starts in the beginning. He really didn't miss much time, but their inability to put the bat on the ball consistently just drives me up the wall. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to add to it. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's really frustrating to watch them not hit. It's April, and you can give them the benefit of the doubt of the early season stuff. But, you know, it's tough to watch Pence and Longoria. I think he'll snap out of the the funk that he was in the first couple of weeks. But, yeah, it's been tough to watch him not hit. Brandon Belt is as frustrating as he's always been in terms of, of hitting. I don't know what Crawford's been batting, but I can't imagine it's over 260. It's exactly 260. Yeah. Impressive. So it's frustrating. So last time when we talked, you walked us through the team war stats, went over replacement. And I was looking at that today. Do you know who, in terms of batting stats, has the highest war on the team? Currently this year? Mm-hmm. I would presume it's been McCutcheon. I mean, Posey's been hitting quite well, so it's either Posey or McCutcheon. McCutcheon is actually a negative 0.1 war somehow, and I have a hard time digesting that. It's actually Joe Panic, who is 0.6 in terms of war, Posey 0.4, Crawford 0.3, and your fourth player in terms of win over replacement is Brandon Belt hitting a smoking hot 256. McCutcheon is somehow a net negative, which is a little surprising to me, but uh, maybe it's the strikeout rate. Who knows? That's definitely surprising. I mean, obviously a little bit of bias in my mind with the six-hit game early on in the season and a couple of walk-offs. I just think of them as being having been more clutch than maybe it would seem. He's batting a buck ninety-four with an on-base percentage of two seventy-five. Wow. I think he leads the team with two home runs, but as much as everyone says that Longoria has been slow out of the gates, I don't think McCutcheon's been much better. He's just had a couple of moments in games they've won. Let's talk about the bright side. Help me out here. It was good to see Beatty. It wasn't good to see him get lit up like a candle. I hope that he gets control over the corners of the strike zone. But, you know, I actually listened to that game and it seemed like he had pretty decent stuff. He had quite a few strikeouts, but he hung a couple of breaking balls to big league hitters and put a couple of balls in the middle of the plate in hitters counts and they made him pay for it. So, you know, you hope that he can get some of those things ironed out, but I guess that's a positive and 
you hope the same thing for Suarez, but it's tough. I was looking at their minor league stats and baseball prospectus just came out with the farm system rankings. And man, I'm pivoting really quickly off of the positives here, but they have the 26th ranked farm system in the league right now. And so I'm like, man, we got a six and 10 team that's looking old and there's not a whole lot that feels like it's coming up for the next couple of years. I guess that's what we talked about. But I guess the question in my mind is really like, how quickly does it take to turn it around? I don't feel like they can go through the same kind of fire sale you know, thing that like the Braves and the Phillies and the Astros, you know, have done. And so I'd be curious your perspective on like, who are they comping to in terms of turning the team around for the next year to two years? The first team that comes to mind is the Yankees over the last four or five years, where they went through the demise of the Jeter, Rivera, even A-Rod teams. They were trading for players like D.D. Gregorius, and they didn't have a ton in the farm system, and it took them three or four years, and they were riding the legacy of Derek Jeter and not making the playoffs and not being very competitive for a couple of years while they rebuilt the farm system. And now you look at them and they have Judge and they were able to add the big bat in Stanton. And they have um, Sanchez and they've got Bird. So this is interesting. I actually have up on my screen the Baseball America organizational rankings, farm system rankings from 2014 to 2018. And the New York Yankees spent 2014 to 2016 with the 18th ranked farm system and for the last two years have been number two. So you can rebound from being a middle of the road farm system to being a top tier farm system within a four year span is what you're saying. Yeah, I think within a actually within a two or three years year span. I think the other comp that will kind of grind your gears a little bit is the the Anaheim Angels actually or the Los Angeles Angels. They've gone from bum, bum, like bum, bum. The, the dead last worst farm system from 2014 to 2017 to middle of the road. They're ranked 14th right now and it's basically because they drafted decently and got and did well in the international market. They got Otani obviously so that helps your farm system out pretty quickly. So, I mean, I think that this year, based on the start, and it's too early to turn the season over and say that they're not going to be competitive. They're four games under 500. Odds are they go on a little run here somewhere. They're getting players back. Let's not pretend that they didn't lose two of their three best starting pitchers. And as much as I'm polishing a piece of shit here, I think the positive sign so far is you look at Cueto, Derek Holland, Chris Stratton, and Ty Block. And in terms of ERA, 0.45, Derek Holland has a 4.6, but a lot of that was in the first game. I think he gave up five or six runs. Stratton's at a 2.6 and Block's at a 4.3. All four of those pitchers have a positive war. So you're going to end up when Bumgardner and Samarja come back with at least six major league qualified arms. Uh, you're going to be able to trade one of them for an asset or somebody will go to the bullpen. 
hopefully the return of 40% of your pitching staff means that the bullpen is more rested. And so I feel like already out of the gates, the bullpen is starting to show signs of wear. And that just happens when you have young arms and they're putting out fires left and right. So if I had to say that something positive was going to happen this year, it's the pitching staff, the starting pitchers have been at least league average, if not better, and you're going to have a surplus. Hopefully you can trade one of them and bolster the farm system at the end of the season and then wait for the cavalry to come home and the hitting, it can't be this bad all year long, can it? You'd hope not. I mean, if it's this bad, you're going to see a lot of guys from the farm system get pushed up. You'll see Duggar and Slater and... Mac Williamson. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll just see these guys come up and they'll get lots of playing time just so that they can really get a good sense of whether they're going to make it or not. I mean, I think they have a pretty decent idea, but... It's early though, right? Yeah. They're six and 10, right? Like they win the next two games and we're saying, oh, they're almost 500. It's like they sweep a series and they're back to 500 and we're singing a different song for next week's podcast. I think the question that I have for you is, let's hope that the things even out and they lost a couple games in a row and this is just a, a minor blip and then they get the pitchers back and the hitting evens out they end up being a competitive team i still think that they're close to a 500 team at the end of the year but if they're not and the hitting is this bad who do they push out to play the younger players i think it's a take your pick kind of situation between blanco jackson and pence i think the tough push out is pence and you know, if he keeps on hitting below the Mendoza line, then you've just got a sad situation from a fan standpoint where maybe Pence just can't go anymore. I don't think it gets to a point where it's so bad where you just can't play him at all. I don't think he falls off a cliff the way Lincecum did. I think it's probably a fall off the cliff kind of the way Matt Cain did in the last couple of years. And I think they'll, if there's one thing that the Giants know how to do, it's manage a a situation like that. Gracefully exit an aging player. Yeah. And I think that Pence is the kind of guy who will mentor younger guys. And so he's still a good clubhouse guy. So I think he'll be the last one if they've got to really move on. You know, I think the the wrinkle that comes in there is that they're going to want to put Belt in left and get him some games as well, because they're going to want to keep Posey's knees fresh. And then their number two prospect is Chris Shaw who is an offense and first baseman, but he's more natural in right field than left field. So you got a little bit of a logjam there of mediocre to slightly below average outfielders. Looking at the batting stats for the season so far this year, it's interesting that all of the off-season moves have basically flopped. Austin Jackson's hitting 227. Longoria is hitting 204. McCutcheon hitting 194. Seeing that makes me think that there is an adjustment period for new players coming into the park. There's no way that all three of those guys are total deadweight. I just have a hard time believing that they could be that bad, which makes me think that those guys are going to come around and get more comfortable. And the guys that have been here are relatively where you expect them to be. You're looking at Posey hitting 294, Panic hitting 293, Crawford hitting 260, Belt hitting 256. Like, None of those are outstanding numbers, but they're on average 30 points higher than the guys that are getting their feet situated. I think there's probably something to that. I'm not reading too much into slow starts for batters 
in the start of the year. And I'm reluctantly willing to give Hunter Pence benefit of the doubt because he's never been tremendously fast out of the gates from what I can remember. He always kind of took a little bit of time to get going. I don't know if it's because the mechanics of his swing are a little bit funky. But yeah, it's obviously discouraging. I think the thing that's more discouraging to me is that they're hitting this bad and they've basically only been playing in all West teams. I don't care who they're playing as long as they're winning. And the truth is that all sorts itself out at the end of the year. There's such a big sample size with baseball that even when you lose to division teams at the beginning of the year, you can rebound and teams go in fits and spurts. I think that, like I said, if I had to uh, look at the bright side, the starting pitching hasn't been horrendous and they've lost two out of their three big horses, the guys that you were supposed to ride. That explains why the bullpen has been below average. And I don't think the bullpen's been as terrible as maybe the stats infer. They're just worked pretty hard because of the young pitchers. And I mean, Longoria and McCutcheon can't hit an average of 201 the entire season, can they? No, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That would be quite a disaster. So tell me a player that you've enjoyed watching so far this season, who you have your eye on, who uh, who you think is going to take us to the promised land. You know, I really want to see Beatty more. It's been hard to say it's been enjoyable, but, you know, he's a Vanderbilt guy and I went to Vanderbilt, so I've got a soft spot for him. And I feel like I've been waiting for him to to come up and show his stuff. And I was really excited when he started against the Padres and, you know, I was bummed that he gave up a couple of jacks in there, but he's got good stuff and I, I'm just excited to see him play. I want him to, I want him to do well and I actually want him to come back up and, I'm ready for the Tyler Beatty experiment to go full force. I don't think he gave up any home runs. I thought he just walked everyone. I was pretty sure that he hung a couple of breaking balls. Am I thinking about Suarez? Yeah, so I was going to say, I was looking at the stats, and the thing that sticks out to me looking at those couple of games, the ARAs are ridiculous, Suarez and Beatty. With Suarez, he gave up a couple of bombs. I'm thinking of Suarez, who hung a couple. Beatty was just, he didn't have his control. Yeah, I actually think that is something that he will develop with maturity, that understanding where the strike zone is will come along the more that he pitches and with more experience. And his issue was he walked 20% of the batters that he faced. Suarez, on the other hand, gave up home runs to every third batter. Yeah, I'm looking at the line. He walked eight and struck out nine. But yeah, regardless, I was excited about BD coming up and I, I hope his control gets there, but I'm ready for the Tyler BD experiment. So you were watching the, the Suarez game. No, I was listening to it on, on, on the radio while I was grilling in the backyard or something like that. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, great. You know, Suarez is pitching. He's pitching well. He's got a couple of strikeouts. And I don't know. I, I think I was going out and like looking to see if the, the grill was warm or something like that. And I come back in just like mid-sentence to Dave Fleming going, and that ball is crushed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here going like, oh, man. Goldschmidt. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I was like, there's only one person who could elicit that kind of comment from you know, and it has to be Paul Goldschmidt. And, you know, of course, Fleming was like, and Suarez just, you know, he's a young pitcher and he hung that breaking ball on a 2-2 count and a hitter of Goldschmidt's caliber is not going to be fooled by that. And he just crushed that ball. And I was, <laughs> oh. That guy kills us. Oh, dude, he like, 
You were asking the last time about like least favorite Dodgers or, you know, guys who kill us. And I was talking about Matt Kemp, but Paul Goldschmidt has got to be up there top five in the last 30 years to just kill the Giants. Didn't you see him in the minor leagues or something like that? I did. So this was a really funny story. So my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, and I were living down in LA because that's where we met. And she's a big minor league baseball fan. And I guess this was like right after we graduated from grad school. It's like 2010 or something like that or or 11. We visited a buddy of ours, our classmate of ours, who was living in Modesto, who was working for Gallo. And we were like, well, you know, what are we going to do in Modesto? So we went to see the Modesto Nuts. The Modesto Nuts. Yeah, they're called the Modesto Nuts. Their mascot is a giant almond. (laughs) And they're playing against the Vasalia Rawhide. So we're sitting there and it's like a Thursday night and there couldn't have been more than a thousand people in the stands or something like that. And so we're sitting right on the third baseline and I'm just sitting there heckling whoever's on the Vasalia team out at third base. And this guy totally duffs a ball at third and one goes right through the wickets. And I'm like, you suck guy at third. I can't even see your numbers or who you are. I don't care. I can't pronounce your name. Why, well, you know, whatever. I can't even see that far. And it wasn't that far. And, and then a, an inning later or so, this dude comes up and just annihilates this ball like bull durham he hit the bull free stakes for everybody kind of moonshot (laughs) and it was like whoa that was a big home run (laughs) and then like two innings later this guy comes out and plays third again and just airmails a ball over the first baseman's head on a relatively routine grounder and i was like You might be able to hit, but you feel like crap, whoever you are. And then the next inning or two innings later comes up and just mashes another ball. And and I'm like, man, who is this guy? And I look up and it's Paul Goldschmidt. And I remember in that game, it was like, I don't know if this guy's just hitting minor league pitching, but those are big, long, far home runs. And I'll keep a tab on him because it's the Vizalia Rawhide, our Arizona Diamondbacks farm team. And he came up that September against the 2010, I think it was the 2010 Giants, obviously the World Series team. But he started murdering Giants pitching right off the bat. Right out of the he, gate. He hit a home run against Tim Lincecum from the on-deck circle. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I saw that guy crush people down in the minor leagues. I saw him play. He can't field for crap. And he obviously didn't make it as a third baseman. <laughs> That's why he's playing first in Arizona. But good Lord, could that guy hit. <laughs> well, I hope that we don't see Beatty until the end of the year. I hope that Bum comes back and Samarja comes back. We end up with enough starting pitching where he gets to be seasoned and stay in the minors and we roll with the guys that we have. And he comes up again next year and is one of the starting pitchers at the beginning of the season. I mean, maybe not April, May, I give that, but he's been down there for what, three years now? He's 25 now. I think he's got to come up and figure out what's what. I think it's fine to have Stratton pitching. I think that's good. And, you know, you hope that Holland can hold down the fort until Samarja gets back. 
And it's been encouraging to see Cueto pitching like an ace out of the gate. Goodness, I, I don't know where they would be if Cueto didn't have a sub one ERA right now. Yeah, but they lost all those games. Yeah, but I mean, like, what, his ERA right now is 0.45? Like, they're going to win games with him with a 0.45 ERA. They'll be fine there. But yeah, I want to see Beatty come up, and if he can't be a starter, then let's get him into the bullpen, because Lord knows that Osich is going to not be in the middle of that that lineup. We're trying to end this on a positive note, so let's just not talk <laughs> about Osich, because if there was a player that drives me nuts, he's the guy. <laughs> That's fair. So yeah, I'm excited about Beatty and Suarez. I want to see him back up, see what they got. Give me one more glimmer of hope. You like the Tyler Beatty experiment. You hope he's going to come back out. What else gets you excited about watching the Giants and baseball this year? I'm excited to see Panic on an up note. I'm glad to see him doing well. You know, he kind of took his lumps last year and I think got some questions about what he was going to be. So, you know, I'm excited that he's hitting well. I hope he turns into a good solid second baseman and number two guy in the lineup. So, So let's end this on a positive note. We have uh, Shaw in the minor leagues. He's going to be the next Paul Goldschmidt. We have at least six serviceable major league pitchers. Bumgarner's going to come back. Samarja is going to come back. The uh, back of the bullpen is going to get sorted out, and our offseason moves can't hit a combined 200 for the entire season. It's going to be okay, Adam. It's going to be okay, folks. We're going to be better than a 6-10 and 10 team, right? You bet. Maybe. Give me a, give me a solid maybe. Yeah, solid shades under 500 you heard it here first folks we're going to be close to 500 don't panic it's early in the season let's go get him g-men and that's a wrap for today's show our plan is to do this every week so if you want more giants baseball in your podcast feed click that subscribe button also since we're just getting started uh, go ahead and give us a rating in the itunes store or send us any questions you have at for the fans by the fans.com or you could just go to ftfbtf.com We've also opened up our Twitter, our Instagram, and our new Facebook page, so you can find us by searching FTF, BTF in any of your social platforms. Uh, Thanks again to our friends at Fanatics. If you're going to go buy your Giants gear, go to FTFBTF.com slash Giants, and they'll kick us a couple of bucks to help produce the show. And until next time, come on, G-Men, let's use those bats, swing and a miss, and that's it.